Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy 25, we continue our study here. And Moses, remember what he's doing. He's giving these instructions to the next generation of Israel that's going to uh, pass to the promised land. He says here in verse 1. Now, we've already covered uh, uh, different uh, situations, like from a situational perspective, almost like, you know, you know, hey, Israel, if you come across this, then do this. In this situation, do this. In this situation, do this. And I love it so much because it, you, you, you see, um, it sounds weird to say practicality in the law, but in a sense, that's kind of what you see, practicality in the law. In verse one, if there is a dispute between men, so some kind of beef arises, and they come to court that the judges may judge them. Now, remember in our previous study, the formula has to be right. Now, how beautiful is it when we see when the formula is right that there is uh, uh, how the Lord desires. Uh, the formula has got to be right. In the judges, in the elders, in the priests, in the people, the formula has to be right. If you remember our study from Deuteronomy 16, in verse 18, says you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you. Now, there's, it also applies to the, the elders, the priests. They, it says in verse 18, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Verse 19, you shall not pervert justice. And then he continues, you shall not show partiality nor take a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. So that's one of the, not one of, that's the recipe for, you know, for, in order to judge rightly. Now, when that's off a little bit, I mean, if you've ever cooked something or baked something, maybe you confuse the, the sugar with the salt or the salt with the sugar and it doesn't get, it looks fine, but it doesn't taste fine because there's something wrong with the recipe. Now, the same thing applies to scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. When the word of God says X, Y, Z, then the responsibility of the person is to have X, Y, Z, according to the formula. Now, the old covenant is one formula. The new covenant is another formula because remember, we abide in the law's fulfillment. It's, 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 it's so beautiful when you just boil it down. The problem comes when people like to complicate it and say, well, you know, according to this, according to this dispensation, and they, they twist and when that happens, all of a sudden, the righteousness, it can easily become perverted. And these are the things that the servants of Satan do when we study you know, the Corinthian letters, Galatians, the exhortations that are in Ephesians, and also Philippians from, a, hey, guys, look out for this kind of perspective. The servants of Satan, they like to twist. That's exactly what they do because they are serving their master, Satan. But the formula's got to be right. The Lord says X, Y, Z, then inside of us, inside of you, inside of me, X, Y, Z. Exactly how the Lord outlines. Now, that's we also have to understand the covenants. There's the old covenant and there's the new covenant. Listen to our study through Galatians and you'll understand the importance of both. And for you and me to abide in the new covenant. Remember, the law was added because of sin until the seed. And the seed is here. The seed has risen. You see? That's Jesus Christ. And it's so powerful because now with this 
understanding now these things when the lord says you know when the, the pharisees they're like you know uh you know we follow moses and jesus was straight up he just how can you believe the writings of moses when he wrote about me and we can understand that to a much deeper level when we understand the covenants and the importance uh, not just the importance but the necessity for you and me to abide in jesus christ and yet we see here in Deuteronomy 25, let's go back to 25 now, in verse 1. So this beef arises, a dispute between men, and they come to court that the judges may judge them. Now, the, the two men, they have a beef. Now, there's it's safe to have the full expectation that the determination of the judges is going to honor the Lord. But remember, the formula's got to be right. Look at all the factions where the formula has to be right. Yes, there's this beef that arises. There's two guys. There's a, some kind of differing of opinion that arises between the two. Now, the formula might be right in one or the formula might be wrong in the other. Now, how does it get settled? Well, you go to the judges. Same like it is in church. There's two brothers or two sisters. They got a beef. Now, one could be right and one could be wrong, or maybe both could be right with different perspectives. But, you know, maybe both could be absolutely wrong. Maybe one is wrong with the other's right. All kinds of different. So what do we do? Well, you go to the elder, go to the pastor, go to the elder, go to the overseers. Those in charge and have a biblical responsibility to care for the flock and provide counsel for the flock. Now, it doesn't have to be pastor and elder. You can go to another brother or sister that in, you know, in the Lord, but you have to make sure the formula, just like when we study on Sundays, you know, the grade levels, there's, you know, like first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, you know, the, like the first Corinthians, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you see the, the level of maturity in the church. Now, if you have a beef, you don't want to go to the first graders. You don't want to go to the carnal believers. You don't want to go to the First Corinthians 3 type where they're on milk for three years and there's no growth, no maturity in them. You want to go to Philippians where they've been growing and maturing in Christ for three or 13 years. You see? No arrested development. And so it's safe to get counsel from a Philippian type than it is to get in a First Corinthians 3 type. You see? But... You know, not to say that, you know, don't go to the pastor, don't go to the elder, not to come off that way, but there's certain safeguards in place with maturity to go to another brother, to go to another sister. Hey, brother, hey, sister, what's your opinion about this? But make sure you're not seeking the counsel from a, a first grader, even a second grader, even a third grader. It's very important because you understand Satan, he presents himself as an angel of light. And the milk drinkers, they are easily deceived. The first graders, easily deceived. Second graders, easily deceived. Third graders, eh, quite possibly deceived. Philippians, less propensity to be deceived. Now, the attacks are, Satan is always going to try to attack. But there is less propensity for there to for the philippian saints to buy into the lies of satan that's the benefit of maturing in christ because they've moved on they're moving on to perfection as opposed to the stunted growth and arrested development that we see in first corinthians 3 you see and when you understand the new testament the epistles the writings of paul in terms of that maturity level it would it will help you
Just like if you listen to our study on Sunday, remember the table where you have like, you know, preschoolers, first graders, second graders, and like university level? Well, you want to seek counsel from university level. You want to seek counsel from the upper echelon of, I say, uh, not academia, but just maturing in Christ. Because they have this knowledge base. They're not going to be tossed to and fro by all kinds of different uh, varying opinions and varying doctrines. They're not, they're going to have stable stability in Christ. And among those university level, I'm doing my air quotes when I say university level. I'm not speaking about academia in accordance to the world. I'm saying I'm doing my air quotes when I say like university level. I'm just speaking about maturity. And you want to seek counsel from these people. Among which, when you see the university level, these are like, the next step beyond that is like straight up ministry, like in terms of like pastoral and, you know, uh, like elder ministry, overseer ministry, who are male, always male, always male. You know, a lot of females, you know, you have the, the feminist mentality where it's like, oh, you know, like uh, uh, down with the patriarchy, you guys have made a mess of this, so I'm going to take it upon myself, number one, to my sisters in Christ. Don't take it upon yourself. Take it to the Lord. And what does he, his word say? Females can serve in ministry. Absolutely, be ministry leaders. Just like we see in, 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 in Phoebe, in uh, Chloe, in, in uh, uh, all these beautiful people in the New, New Testament. But elders, pastors, no for the female. No, that's not the right formula. Always male. Coverings, Old Testament, New Testament, always male. You see? It's beautiful. When, when you see scripture in that light, it will help you grow. It helps us grow and mature together. And, you know, if you're university level, it's not to look down on the preschooler. You know, it's like the rugby match from our study in Romans. It's to, you know, the university level, it's to be humble and help the first grader move on to perfection help the preschooler move on to perfection help the third grader move on to perfection you see that's it's 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 beautiful but a problem comes when you know you know of course to help the younger ones younger in christ mature in christ but then remember the distinction has to be made why is this person a milk drinker is is this person a milk drinker because they became a believer last month or is this person a milk drinker and they've been a believer for 10 years? Now, when you see that stagnation, when you see that uh, uh, that that continual uh, um, uh, no flow in a in a milk drinker, that's for years. That's when you get into leaven territory. And it has to be dealt with accordingly, you know, in accordance to how the word teaches. Just like we see the Corinthian example. See, beefs always are going to arise in the church. Always. A brother with a sister, a sister with a sister, a brother with a brother, you know, parents with kids, kids with parents, all kinds of different. It, it, it just happens. But then where where is it where counsel is to be sought? You cannot go to the milk drinkers. And I say this with pain. A lot of Christians seek counsel from the milk drinkers. A lot of saints seek counsel from the preschoolers, the first graders, the second graders. And that's not the formula. Milk drinkers aren't patterns to follow. 
The Philippians are the pattern to follow. Paul, Timothy, Priscilla, Aquila, these are patterns to follow. Chloe, Lydia, Priscilla, uh, 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 Phoebe, the, these are patterns to follow. People that are like this, like Epaphroditus, hold people such as this in high esteem. You see, not the milk drinkers. It's not to say that a milk drinker can never be an example, but the milk drinker has to get off of milk. And so it's safe to have that expectation when the formula is right in overseers and among the Philippian type. When the formula is right, you we can have the full expectation and safety of knowing that, yes, it's okay to seek counsel from this individual. It's okay to seek counsel over here. Green light all the way. Green light all the way. But the danger happens when the formula is wrong among the overseers. There's no Philippian saints. Everybody's 1 Corinthians 3 saints. And it's like, okay, do I seek counsel from here over from the 1 Corinthians 3 model? No way. That's when it becomes dangerous for you when you seek counsel from such individuals. You see? And... A lot of people do it. Oh, I'm having marital problems, so I'm going to go talk to this guy. He's an elder, and he's on his third marriage, and his previous wives are still alive. They haven't died. That's dangerous to seek counsel from that guy. He, he's going to give counsel on something that he himself has not mastered. See, it's dangerous. Don't go to the milk drinker. Pastors who are on their fourth marriage, and all their previous wives are still alive, no death, just irreconcilable differences, and you're going to see marriage counseling from that guy? No way. No way. A pastor who's filed bankruptcy two times, and you're going to, you know, you have like some financial questions, and you're going to, you know, I don't mean financial questions like, you know, how am I going to beef up my portfolio? I mean, financial questions in terms of, you know, making sure it, it, everything honors the Lord. Maybe there's some financial hardships. Now we got to get down to like, why are there financial hardships? What's the reason? You know, do, are you, are you living way beyond your means? Or, you know, do we have to bring things down to where you're living within means again? Or, you know, counseling kids and, you know, family situations, family dynamics, situations, and here, 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 X, Y, Z, one, two, three. The Bible gives us examples. And you're going to seek counsel from the milk drinker? No, don't do that. It's, it's dangerous. You see, absolutely, the Bible says that, you know, like we reference Hebrews 13, you know, to, to submit to overseers, to submit to the pastors. It's very beautiful. But the formula's got to be right in the pastor. No hypocrite. Don't obey the hypocrite. Don't obey the one who himself is compromised. Then it becomes dangerous for you to listen to that person. You see? And that's what's so beautiful about the last days is these false teachers, they're being exposed. And the only way to have them exposed is when you and me, when we're Bereans, and we understand what the word of God says, because then you can know, okay, this guy says this, that's false, so I'm not going to listen to him. This guy says this, that's false, I'm not going to listen to him. This guy says this, okay, that's that's true. He says this, okay, that's true. He says this, okay, that's wrong, I'm not going to listen to him. You see? Another guy, this guy says this, 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 and everything aligns with scripture. 
And you know, okay, sound teacher, sound doctrine. In Israel, according to the law, the people should have had that same expectation that the guidance from the elders, the guidance from the judges, the guidance from the priests was going to be on point. It's that it's safe. Like if we were in in the camp of Israel and according to the law, that it's safe for you and me to do exactly what the judges say because they're looking out for us. It's safe to do what the priests say because they have a God-given responsibility. They're looking out for us. That, that's their task. That's their, do- their, their job, their role, their position in service to the Lord. But if the formula is not right in them, then it becomes dangerous for the people. See, And you're going to see vices that are presented to the children of Israel, to the entirety of the camp as a result of kings, as a result of priests, as a result of judges, where the formula gets thrown off. You see? And I love this because Moses just, he's putting these things into play. Well, you know, in this situation, this is what you do. With the understand, the prior understanding that in those judges, in those priests, in those elders, look out for the formula. The formula's got to be right. Remember, he addressed the false prophet already. And so, like, you know, the formula's got to be right and, and everything has to align with what the Lord desires. Everything has to align with perfectly. And when you see that, then it's safe to heed this counsel. When you don't see that, hey, don't heed the counsel. And so here in verse 1, there's this beef that arises that the judges may judge them and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. So the judgment is made. The the determination is made. One is in the right, one is in the wrong. In verse 2, Then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in in his presence according to his guilt with a certain number of blows. Whoa. We read this and it's like, wow, the, 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 he's deemed to be guilty and now they're going to beat him. And he, he, we read this and it's like, wow, this is harsh. Harsh. Absolutely, it's harsh. It's the law. Remember, in the law is death, our study in Romans. This, in the law is the reality of life and death. But it's a result of one's choices. You see? Like if, if if a person's in the wrong, there is harshness to the law where it's like, you know, it could be a little tap tap or it could be a big, you know, whip whip. It could be a big boom boom or it could be dead. It's harsh. It's one of one of the beauties that is emerging in the last days where it is prophesied. For lawlessness to abound. Now, we're we're living in a time where we're starting to see in a more palpable way the benefit of law as a result of lawlessness. I mean, through the law, a person can go to the grocery store without getting mugged. Through the law, uh, you know, a lady can, you know, get uh, milk and cookies at the grocery store at midnight. You know, doesn't have to worry about getting mugged or raped or killed or anything. And that, that That's one of the advantages of the law. Now, I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape or form. 
but we can see the advantage of the harshness of the law through lawlessness, which is on the rise, and it's going to increase even more. Now, I'm not advocating the law. No way. I only say this to give the example of like, hey, this this harshness, yes, it's harsh, but understand what the children of Israel has been have been accustomed to. They've been in Egypt. They're going. They've been freed and rescued from Egypt. But then they're they have these surrounding peoples, which they have their own brand of conduct. The 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 the, the, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Moabites. They have their own brand of conduct, which doesn't align with. Elohim does not align with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses is saying, hey, the Almighty is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has shown himself. He has revealed himself. And we are his people. These, what you see around us, or from Moses' perspective, when you guys go and you guys see this, you have to make this distinction. Let not them be your influencer. Don't become corrupted by them because we are a people of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Almighty. And when you look at the, through these cultures and brands of conduct among these peoples, these outside influences that potentially outside influence, they're outside influences, but whether they're an influencer, that's up to Israel. Israel has to know who they are. They have to know their identity in the God of Israel. But it's the exact same with you and me. Our identity is in Christ. Not to be influenced by X, Y, Z and one, two, three. That is outside of the word of God. Outside of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Outside of Christ. Not to be influenced by those things. We have to understand that, you know, we are identity in Christ, that yes, our identity in Christ, and we go into the world, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Remember, Paul says, you know, I didn't mean with, you know, non-believers because you'd have to get in a rocket ship and go live on Mars. I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of the gist of what he says in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, or, or, or uh, 5, 1 Corinthians 5. We have to make these distinctions. We go into the world, you go into the workplace. And you have a coworker that says, hey, let's go get drunk tonight. Let's go get buzzed tonight. Let's go get whatever. Let's go get wasted. Let's go to the strip club. Let's go gambling. Let's go do this. Let's go. Now, we make these distinctions. Yes, I'm in the world. We're in the world. We go to the workplace. But you know what? I'm not going to partake of those things that of, of the of the world. So, friend, no thanks. Let me tell you something, friend. Instead of that, let's hang out over here. Let's have a Bible study. You see, instead of them being your influence, you be their influence. That's the same thing in the Old Testament. Israel in in this, in the promised land. Yes, it's the promised land, but the threats are always going to be there. Just like, just like you and me. Yes, we're in the world, but the threats are always going to be there. And Moses is saying, hey, your identity is in the Lord. Yes, there's harshness to the law. There's absolutely harshness to the law. I mean, like, 
guy's going to get beaten. And in verse 2, the guy's beaten in the presence of the judge according to his guilt with a certain number of blows. And the formula's got to be right in the judge. Otherwise, the judge could just say, hey, you know what? I don't like this guy. This guy owes me 20 bucks, so I'm going to give him an extra beating. You see, that's corrupt judge. And I'm not advocating the law in saying this. It, but remember, there's still holiness in the law. The law is over. Only, 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 only. The law is over only for the soul that abides in Christ. You see, the law was not made for a righteous person, but for the unrighteous. First Timothy chapter 1. The law is over only for the person that abides in Christ. Not the person that believes in Christ. The person that abides in Christ. To abide in Christ, you have to believe. Because you can believe in Jesus, but you know even the demons believe. Do the demons obey Jesus? No. And the law is over only for the person that abides in Christ. You see? A person believes in Jesus Christ? Okay. Is this person abiding in Christ? And you can look at the fruit. Or is this person, does this person believe in Jesus Christ, but is still doing the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the rock and roll? Because where you see that, you don't see abiding. You see preschool. You do not see abiding in Christ. Now, such person is borderline subject to the things of the law. You want to make sure you're right smack dab in the middle of abiding in Christ. You see? Now, with such a person that's doing the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whole nine yards, you know, counsel to them would be like, hey, get back over here. You get in Christ. Abide in Christ. Don't be at the doorway. Don't be like, you know, don't don't mess around, you know, and, you know, uh, look outside the windows and, you know, do this. Just, hey, right smack dab in the middle. Don't flirt with the things of the world because there's now this is where the overseers, pastors and elders, and we're going to get into this in the pastoral epistles, but there's responsibilities to say, hey, abide in Christ because where there's abiding in Christ, that's where you have the green waters and the green, green pastors, the still waters. There's it's safe. It's safe for Christians to exercise the things that, that are written in the epistles, the things that Peter writes about, that Paul writes about, that James writes. It's safe to exercise these things, to be in training ground, so to speak, where there's green pastures and still waters. It's safe for the young to be with the old. It's safe to, to eat and, you know, to, to feed in, 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 in this, in this, where there's green, green grass and still waters. It's safe. The overseers, pastors, and elders have responsibility to keep it that way. Also deacons. Responsibility to keep it that way. But there's this mentality that has arisen in these last days. And it's been around for a while. Where it's like, oh, we got to love the sinner, 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 love the sinner. And absolutely love the sinner. Absolutely. We were once sinners ourselves. And we still sin. As we grow and mature, mature in Christ, you're still going to sin, but we can sin less and less and less as we move on to perfection. 
But then at the same time to understand that if we have this, this mentality of just, you know, love the sinner, love the sinner. Oh, you want to do crack? Okay, come on in. Oh, you want to do sex? Okay, come on in. A first Corinthians three mentality among overseers. That's when it becomes unsafe for Christians inside the camp. That's when it becomes unsafe for them. You see? And that can't be. Remember Paul says to the elders of Ephesus at the Miletus meeting, he says, after my, de- my after my departure, it's not Paul getting on a high horse to say, oh, look how awesome I am because, you know, if I'm here, then it's safe for you. He's not coming off that way. But in a sense, <laughs> when Paul's around, it's safe. I mean, picture a child you know, having fellowship with a, 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 an eight-year-old child, having you know, a, a, an eight-year-old child uh, having playing rugby with a twenty-year-old. You know, just like the example we give in in, in Romans. But you see, an eight-year-old with a twenty-year-old, where if Paul's there, you know, okay, you know, Paul's not going to put up with this. He's going to, you know, he's he's just not going to. It's it's safe. His elders, his elders in this bubble that he has trained and poured into, it is safe with Titus and Timothy. And that eight-year-old is moving on to perfection. That 20-year-old has humbled himself or humbled herself to help that eight-year-old grow and mature. And it is safe. But where you have a defunct pastor, a defunct elder, and they say, hey, yeah, you want to do sex? Come on in. God is love. Hey, you want to do crack? Hey, come on in. God is love. Do you see how dangerous it is now for a 20-year-old to be hanging out with the 8-year-old? You see? So Paul says, after my departure, wolves will enter. And even from among you who are going to turn into wolves. And Paul says, after my departure, he's not getting on a high horse. He just, he has his identity in Christ. He's under orders. The Lord doesn't stand for it. So in obedience to the orders of the Lord, who is the head pastor of all the church, the head of the church. He calls the shots. The Lord, Jesus Christ. And Paul's just being obedient. Peter's just being obedient. Chloe's just being obedient. Phoebe's just being obedient. The Lord, Jesus Christ, calls the shots. You see? It's so beautiful. When you understand scripture in this manner, it will help you. Because you'll see, okay, it is safe in this environment. Or you can go to another place, another church, and they got, you know, it says truth on the door, it has a cross, and it says church, it says Christianity. But when you walk in, you'd be like, oh my goodness, here's a defunct pastor, defunct elder. And now it is not safe for you to exercise these, the, the, the Christian life in this, in this environment. You see? The same exact thing in the camp of Israel. I mean, I'm not advocating beatdowns, but this is the law. And when one is determined to be wicked and in verse 2 deserves to be beaten, that judge will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence according to his guilt with a certain number of blows. Everything is proportional to the guilt. You know, you stole a piece of gum. Okay, you know, tap, tap. But you did something, you know, really wrong. Okay, it ain't tap, tap anymore. 
it's like, you know, a little heavier. And this is, there's harshness to the law. But the same, when you have a child, a, a two-year-old child, say you have a baby, a fresh baby, two months old. There is beauty behind the fresh baby. But as that baby grows, a two-year-old, a, a two-month-old, that baby is going to learn to crawl, is going to learn to walk. And when that child is two years old, you know, you can't hold that child anymore. You have to introduce a certain level of harshness. Hey, baby girl, don't you dare put the finger in the socket. You see? There's a relative harshness. Baby girl, I said not to put the finger in the socket. You're going to, you, you take one step further and it's, it's toastation time. Okay? Baby girl gets closer. Okay, baby girl, house of pain. You see? Now, baby girl learns through harshness. Now, when baby girl's 10 years old, you don't have to tell her, baby girl, you know, don't, don't put your finger in the socket. You don't have to tell her because number one, she's learned that through your harshness. You see? She's learned it through your harshness. And now you, from your position as parent, you're able to exercise a period of grace and mercy. All of it is love. Even in the harshness, it's love. But see, a baby, two-month-old baby, and you hold the baby, and you love the baby. Two-year-old baby. Baby girl's two years old now. Now there's you still love the baby. The love hasn't changed. But now there's a certain level of harshness. The tap-taps. Because baby girl has to learn. Now baby girl's 10 years old, 15 years old. You still love ever since the birth. You've, you've always loved baby girl. But now she's 10, 15, 20. There's no harshness. Because she's learned that lesson. And now she sees the grace and mercy side a little clear. Now there's grace and mercy even when you were harsh. But it was so harsh that it was difficult to see. But the grace and mercy was there with obedience. You see? The same, how much more with our Father in heaven? How much more with our Father in heaven? You see the tenderness with Adam and Eve. Tenderness with Noah. But then with Moses and the people of Moses, you see a harshness, you see? And in the course of time, you still see harshness in the Old Testament. But that harshness is tempered by obedience. You don't see the harshness with Isaiah. I mean, in terms of the Lord being harsh with Isaiah, you don't see that. Why? Because Isaiah is obedient. Now you see the harshness of God through Isaiah, because what Isaiah prophesies is what he says, you know, thus said the Lord, it's, you know, a lot of it is judgment because the Lord is using his vessels until the seed. Now the seed has come. And the only way you don't see the harshness of the law is for people who are abiding in Christ. You see? How much more our Father in heaven, when we see in this turn, in the, in, in, in the context of baby girl, you see, the tenderness with baby girl when she's two months old, two weeks old, beautiful tenderness, always love. She's two years old, always love still, but there's a certain level of harshness because she's learning. 
And when she's 10 years old, you're able to exercise grace and mercy. There's still going to be harshness because if she's disobedient, there's going to be harshness. You see, there's going to be repercussions for disobedience. But then she obeys. Okay, look, baby girl, you can see the grace and mercy now. There's always love through it all. There's always love. Baby girl's 18 years old now. Leaving, she's saying bye-bye. Now, the Lord has become her God. I mean, the Lord has always been her God. But now she says, Lord, you're my God. You're, you know, my parents got, now you're my God. I mean, hopefully, that's 18, but hopefully it was sooner. You see, and now she has her own relationship with the Lord. And how the whole time she's been in the love of parents. But there were certain levels of discipline, certain harshness involved. There's grace and mercy, but oftentimes through harshness, Kids don't see grace and mercy. Grace and mercy is only seen through obedience. You know, if you're a child if, and you're listening and you're like, oh, you know, you, I don't see grace and mercy. Well, you have a roof over your head, right? Grace and mercy. You know, you're a teenager, 12, 13 years old, 14 years old. Oh, I don't see grace and mercy in my parents. Yeah, you got food in the fridge, right? You see, let's put things in perspective here. It's so beautiful when we see and understand scripture, but you know, let's boil it down, bring it down, not bring it down, but let's boil it down to an understanding to where we can see how much more our father in heaven, you see, and not to, it, it, it's so beautiful. And that's what we see, this harshness in the law. Yes, it's absolutely harsh. But, and I don't want to sound like I'm advocating the law and saying like, you know, in saying the guy is deserving of a beatdown, but in a situation where he is deserving of a beatdown in accordance to the law. Remember the judges, they can't just, you know, hey, I'm going to beat you to a bloody pulp because, you know, you, you stole a piece of candy. No, it doesn't work that way. Oh, you stole a piece of candy, I'm going to stone you now. Or, you know, you have this disagreement and this guy's right and this guy's right because, you know, he gives me a hundred bucks on the side. No, that's corruption. And corruption will enter. But corruption isn't good. See, everybody has a responsibility to be obedient to the Lord. The people obedient to the Lord. The judges obedient to the Lord. The elders obedient to the Lord. The priests, the Levites, the Kohanim. Everybody in obedience to the Lord. And when you see the formula in multiple pots... And everything is beautiful. Offerings, sacrifices, nothing mangy. Everything is beautiful. And you're going to see in the Old Testament, when those things align, you're going to see beauty in Israel. You're going to see blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing in the camp of Israel. You're going to see it. But then when you don't see it, you're going to see ruin you're going to see judgment. You're going to see wrath even. You're going to see defeats in combat. You're going to see a defeated Israel. Why? No obedience. In some cases, the, the disobedience is uh, the, the, the state of God's judgment, the, 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 the manner of God's judgment as a result of the sin of few people, kings and priests and elders. You see? 
And then we're going to see who the Lord speaks to. Prophets. Jeremiah. Amos. You see? And so we see here in verse 30, or in verse 3, 40 blows he may give him and no more. Now, there are, sometimes people think that Jesus was, you know, it says here 40 blows and he may give him no more. So what was customary is they'd give 39 lashes. And people say, okay, Jesus was, you know, he was, he was beat. He had the 39 lashes. But understand this, the, the, the type of judgment that Rome gave, because it wasn't the, the Jews, the Jews that, that, that beat Jesus. It was the religious leader or, or the Romans. Now, it could be that the Roman, the political faction of Rome, of the Romans, that they were appeasing the Jews. And so they did it in accordance to Jewish tradition. But the Bible, the Bible doesn't say the, the, the specific number. People have these ideas on, okay, it was this, it was that, but it's just, just a theory. Just, just wanted to say that. It's not, it's not like a major doctrinal thing, but I just wanted to say that because sometimes people give, they, they speak with definity of, you know, okay, this is, this is how it panned out. But the, the Bible doesn't say that. And so we see here in verse three, 40 blows he may give him and no more. But Paul, Paul is different. Paul says in, remember our study in second Corinthians 11 that he was beaten five times. Five times he had 39 lashes or 40 minus one. Five times. Remember when Jesus Christ says, when they beat you or, you know, when they come against you, remember that they hated me first. And Paul, like Peter, when he's getting his beat down and he rejoices that he was counted worthy to suffer shame. Remember that. When somebody hates you because of your belief in Jesus Christ, when somebody comes against you because you're now how somebody comes against you, they might just say, oh, I don't like you. Or they might, you know, it might go to blows. They might get physical with you. Maybe you live in a region where there's heavy persecution. No matter what form of persecution, no matter what form of how people go come against you and how people come against us, it's going to intensify. It's going to intensify. Remember the words of our Lord. He's the one who says, they hated me first. He says, remember that they hated me first. But in the law, remember the harshness of the law. 40 blows he may give him and no more, lest he should exceed this and beat him with many blows above these and your brother be humiliated in your sight or become vile and defiled in your sight. Remember our study in Galatians, the law is what is the additive. I'm not advocating the law and saying this, but knowing that the law is the additive and understanding that in accordance to the word of God, the law is still holy. The law is still in effect and the wages of sin is death. That's why we see the Hebrew roots movement. It's a trap of Satan to get people out of Christ, to seduce people, to leave Christ and abide in the law. That's a huge danger. Never do that. If you're in the Hebrew Roots Movement, come out of her, my people. Listen to our study through Galatians, all of it. Leave the Hebrew Roots Movement. It is a trap of Satan. Because all who live by the law will be judged by the law and die by the law. 
The only safety is to abide in the law's fulfillment and the promise, the promise to Abraham, not the promise to, to Moses, the promise to Abraham. There were promises to Moses, but I'm speaking of the promise to Abraham, which was pre-law. You see? In verse 4, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now, when you read ox in the Old Testament, nine times out of ten, there's reference to pastors and teachers as new covenant believers. A shadow of things to come being pastors and teachers. Nine times out of maybe 8. 8.7, 8.8, 88% of the time, there's, there's new covenant uh, 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 foreshadowing of pastors and teachers. As exemplified, turn to 1 Corinthians 9 really quick. <clears throat> a little refresher course if you've been walking with us for a while. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says in verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Question mark. So Moses refers to, you know, the, the very passage that we're studying in Deuteronomy 25. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain because what they, what, you know, it, you know, you, 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 it would be like, um, like, you know, something to, uh, like, uh, uh, to put a muzzle on the ox to where, you know, like a restrictor, restrictor on his mouth. And, you know, not to muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Well, you know, what the ox would do, what the, what the law says, what the Lord wants to be done with the ox is that the ox could walk or like tread out the grain. And because what they used to do is they'd take the grain and then they'd put it in this room that the, the, the threshing floor and the ox would walk in or sometimes there'd be a big millstone, a huge millstone that was so big a human couldn't push it. So they'd attach an ox to it. And so they'd attach the ox to it, and then the ox would walk around, and it would crush the grain. And on the threshing floor, they were able to separate the wheat and the tares. There was a separation of the wheat and the tares. Just new covenant connotation, how the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. Now, the, the ox, instead of having a muzzle on the ox, or, you know, restrict like a restrictor on the mouth, the ox could just, you know, put his head down and have a meal, walk, tread, and the whole time he's able to eat, you see. So you, you shall not muzzle the ox. That 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 was the law. You shall not muzzle an ox in verse nine while it treads out the grain. Now, Paul says to the saints in Corinth, the remnant of Corinth. Remember, the separation has already happened. Chapter five is the separation. If you know, listen to our study through First Corinthians. You'll you'll understand more. Second Corinthians two, and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. But here in verse nine. The question at the end of verse 9, is it oxen God is concerned about? Question mark. Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? So the very law of as given to Moses in 25 Deuteronomy, a foreshadowing of the things to come. Just as Paul says here, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel says this, of Benjamin or does he say it all together for our sakes in verse 10? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. If we have sown spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? So what Paul is speaking of is the pastors and teachers. 
ministry leaders who have authorization, biblical authorization to reap material things from the saints. You see? And I'm speaking about like, you know, uh, 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 the, 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 the pastor's welfare, the teacher's welfare, support of pastors and teachers in ministry. And Paul says in verse 12, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Question mark. Nevertheless, we have not used this right. I love that. Paul is saying we have every right to be supported by you. But we deny this right. Denial of rights. Another example of denial of rights. What rights does a dead guy have? What rights does a dead gal have? He says, but we endure all things thus we hinder the gospel of Christ. You see? In verse 14, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Verse 15, but I have used none of these things. You see? I've used none of it. He says in verse 17, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against, but if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. He does it for free. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. I love this. Fully aware of his authority in the gospel. Fully aware of his authority to receive support. From the saints. But just as is written in verse 12, we have not used this right. We endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ, he says. See how beautiful that is? A hardcore message for pastors. Pastors, you know, just like our, it just so happens we study this on Sunday. Oh, if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, then you will tithe an extra hundred bucks. You will tithe an extra thousand. You will tithe. You know, we we had the offering plate in the morning and, you know, before the service. And now we're going to have it after service. Now we're going to do it mid-service. We're going to pass the plate around. And if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, maybe you'll give a little extra. little guilt trip on the saints. Don't do that. If you're a pastor, don't do that. Don't you dare do that. If you're a pastor and the Lord has called you, the real Jesus, if he has called you, not one of the fake Jesus, of which are many, many Christs in the last days. It's one of, one of many prophecies. Many Christs in the last days. And if the real Christ, whose word is above his name, if he called you in, in, in ministry to be a pastor, to be an elder, to serve in, in, in ministry capacity, don't you dare, don't you dare fleece the flock. Don't you dare. Turn to Luke Chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I think it's so powerful when when the Lord puts things in perspective for us. In Luke chapter 10, verse 7, he says, in verse 7, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worthy of his wages. I love this. If you're a pastor, don't enter into 
contract with a church board to argue and negotiate for what your wage is going to be. Pastors who say, well, you know, I need my wage to be at least because, you know, the cost of living is kind of high and I have my standard of living. So I need my my annual salary for uh, ministry to serve as pastor. Oh, let me see. How much do your elders make? Because I need to make at least 40% more than them because I'm the head pastor. So they negotiate with boards. It's like getting a job in corporate America. You see? Like getting a job, oh, you know, negotiate for wages. Oh, I'm negotiate this. I'm, uh, I'm going to use this. Uh, 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 look, I can do this. I can negotiate like this. I can negotiate that. I'm going to use this leverage. Look, this other church called me over here and I can be a pastor over there and I can make, you know, $100,000. And if you don't match that or beat it, then I'm going to go over there. They use carnal leverage. The way of the wicked. And this guy is going to be pastor? Freak show. Don't listen to these people. When the Lord himself says the, the laborer is worthy of his wages... Notice in verse 4, he's not even speaking about money. He says, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. And when the Lord refers to the labor who's worthy of his wages or the, you know, uh, 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 don't, don't uh, muzzle the ox while he treads. It's in verse 7, eating and drinking such things as they give. You go into a home fellowship pastor to exhort to teach and you know it's a poor house and they have nothing to eat but they give you a glass of water that's your wage pastor you see now you go into you know you go preach the gospel in boca you they might give you steak and lobster that's your wage you go to preach on the other side of the train tracks, you might get like th- 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 three peanuts. That's your wage. Not to negotiate with a church board. Well, you know, cost of living and I don't want to live on this side of the train tracks. I want to live on the, on the Boca side. I want to live in the Palisades. So my annual salary needs to be at least a year. And I know pastors that negotiate with their boards for ridiculous amounts of money. The Bible refers to these people as hirelings. Do not follow them. Their God is their belly. And they are being exposed in the last days. False teachers are being exposed left and right. Now, the only way you will know them is when you're a Berean. And when you're a Berean, you see this guy is exposed as false teacher. You see this lady is exposed as false teacher. You see this guy is whoever it is. Now, it has been revealed. Don't listen to these people. Don't not listen to them. It's so powerful when we have things in proper perspective here. Yes, it is biblically true. You shall not muzzle the ox. Yes, it is biblically true that pastors, ministry leaders have every right to, yes, they preach the gospel, to earn income from the gospel, to have uh, proceeds from the gospel, from the saints, to be supported by the saints. It's, It's the biblical formula. 
But that doesn't say, Pastor, go ahead and abuse it. Get into these, you know, negotiations with the board. Churches, biblically speaking, you don't see board members in the Bible. You do not see board members in the Bible. You see? You see sacrificial living. You see people living according to the Spirit and walking according to the Spirit. That's what you see. Oh, but that was for another dispensation. That's what the false teachers say. You will not see an expiration date on the power, the moving, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Never. You will not see that in Scripture. You see? Oh, but what about, you said that the Holy Spirit will be lifted. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit will be lifted. Yeah. You still won't see, you do not see the expiration date on the Holy Spirit. Oh, but the Holy Spirit is lifted. Yes. But not on those with oil. Not on those who have stored oil. You see? The formula has to be right. We have the blueprint. It's so easy. It's so easy. Servants of Satan like to complicate it, make it difficult. It's so easy. Remember, Paul, you know, you, you guys might well put up with it. You know, I fear lest you put up with it. The servant of Satan comes and, you know, it, 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 it tries to steer you away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Then you see the fight of the pastor. The fight of the elder, of the deacon, of the Philippian saint who is moving on to perfection. Laying as, lay aside those things which so easily ensnare. You see? I mean, when you look at 1 Corinthians 3 and you look at Philippians, look at the maturity between the two factions. Yes, saints. But then you see it's a little different. In some cases, big difference in the 1 Corinthians 3 type and the Philippian type. Big difference. Now, when you read Hebrews 5, when, you know, some of, some of you ought to be teachers by now. Now you see, the cost of being a baby is very expensive. You see? Moving on to maturity, I wonder what kind of teachers were produced out of Philippians. I wonder what kind of pastors were produced out of Philippians. Beautiful ones. You see? Men, pastors, men, elders, female, uh, deacons. You see? Beautiful. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I meant 25. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Remember what we said? You know, is it the ox that the Lord is concerned about? No, in accordance with the law, yeah, same, same example. The ox gets the, the, the you know, the, say you have this big millstone. You know, it's a rich guy's house, a rich guy's uh, uh, land. And he has like, you know, multiple millstones. The poor guy doesn't have the millstone. Maybe, a, you know, a little one. But there's an industrial-sized millstone that a human can't push it. We need the ox. So, the ox 
go, you attach it, the ox walks, the wheat and the tares, they're separating on the threshing floor to be at, you know, once that, once that threshing is done, to be thrown up in the air for the separating of the wheat and the tares. The wheat to be in the storehouse and the tares to be burned. And these are the very things that the Lord speaks of. The wheat going to the barn. The tares for burning. And the religious leaders in the times of Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, those who are charged, Pharisees, Levites, and, and, and Kohanim, they were the ones who should have, you know, maybe questioned at first. I could understand a little questioning. But they should have been the ones to realize and see the Messiah is here. The Messiah has arrived. But they were blind. You see? Is it the ox that the Lord is concerned about? The Pharisees should have put two and two together and realized, well, the, the Lord it was, was referring to the teachers, the pastors, not in accordance to the law, but the teachers and the pastors in accordance to Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law. The religious leaders who had all the scrolls, I mean, the religious leaders could go into synagogue, go in the back room, and pick out any scroll and read the scroll. I mean, they, they did that in order to be the, the, the rabbi, in order to be in their position. They had this understanding of Torah and the prophets. They had this, they had the scrolls. And so, you know, they, they could go listen to Jesus and then, you know, all of a sudden go to the back room, open up the scrolls and okay, he said this and it aligns. He said this, it aligns and his life looks like this and it aligns with these prophecies over here. Okay, Bethlehem over here. Okay, and lining things up. Okay, Malachi says this. Okay, Micah says this. Isaiah says this and, you know, Deuteronomy says this and Moshe says this. Oh my goodness. Where is Jesus now so that we can go and worship him? That's what should have happened. Oh no. Where is Jesus now so we can go kill him? See? The Torah is, there is beauty in the Torah. There is beauty in the Old Testament. Ears are required. Paul says it. Isaiah says it. You got to have ears. If you do not have ears, there's no point. You see, there's no point if you don't have ears. Now, if you're Jewish and you hear me say that, I know that that's abrasive. I know that that is very abrasive, that if you don't have ears, there's no point. But I just echo the words of Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Here, this is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Verse 10, Isaiah 1, verse 10. Hear, 
hear. H-E-A-R, hear. That's what we do with our ears. To my Jewish friends, I love you. Rabbis who listen, I love you. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law. To the law of our God. You people of Gomorrah. Whoa, this is heavy. Sodom and Gomorrah, reference to the rulers, to the, uh, the, the, the uh, rulers. And yes, we read the Torah and you Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you see sacrifices and offerings unto the Lord is beautiful. But then Isaiah says in verse 11, to what purpose is your multitude of sacrifices to me? What's the point of it? Whoa. And he's just the messenger. He says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. And as a vessel of the Lord, you know, in a, in a thus saith the Lord kind of, you know, not just kind of, but in a thus saith the Lord, literally. He says, still in verse 11, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. But Moses said, the Torah says it's good. Yes, it is good. When the formula is right. In the person sacrificing and making offerings to the Lord. When the formula is right. In the priests. In the Kohanim. When the formula is right in all the pots. It's beautiful. But for the Lord to say, I've had enough of it. For him to say, still in verse 11, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs of goats. But Moses says you do. Is Moses wrong? Nope. Well, who's left? If Isaiah is not wrong, and Moses isn't wrong, and surely the Lord isn't wrong, what's left? The people. Israel. The priests. The Kohanim. The Levites. That's what's left. So what's the disconnect? The formula. Bad recipe. Inside, you see? That's hearing the law. To my beautiful Jewish friends, rabbis who I know listen, whom I love. We must understand what scripture says. Having ears to hear, that Jesus is the Messiah. I'll come to you in this regard, my Jewish friend. I'll come to you, Rabbi, in this regard, whom I love, to tell you to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the only one who can be received as Lord and Savior is the prophesied Messiah. One Messiah, two comings of Bethlehem. You see? Be blind no more. Because he is the one who says, if the blind follow the blind, then both fall into a ditch. You see? 
All of Israel shall be saved. We must understand what the scripture says. And if that's you, Jew, Gentile, you come to Christ. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. These days are wicked. It's so beautiful to see. I mean, it's it's painful to see the rise of lawlessness. But even that is in fulfillment of scripture, of, 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 of prophecy. And we see this rise of lawlessness, which is painful to see and witness and, you know, experience in our lands. And I teach from America. In some places, it's much worse. And see this rise of lawlessness and understand like, wow, there's, there is beauty behind the law because in the law is harsh, but it saves us from certain things according to lawlessness. It addresses lawlessness. And you see the glory of the law, the beauty of the law, which points to a better glory, which points to a more beautiful fulfillment. The Messiah. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 25 now. Deuteronomy 25. Verse 5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, so there's no heir. Remember, the heirs in accordance to the law passes to male, you know, the firstborn. And so it has uh, 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 brothers dwell together. One of them dies and has no son. The widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. So uh, remember, in accordance to the new covenant, new covenant, this is old covenant that we're looking at. But in accordance to the new covenant, <clears throat> it's okay to marry, but to marry again, but marry in Christ. And it's only death. You see, if, if, if a person gets divorced, then the divorce, which biblically speaking and according to the new covenant, can only be for uh, 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 sexual immorality. That's the only way. Now, the divorce happens. It's not to get remarried. It's divorce happens and you're single for the rest of your life. The better marriage, which is Jesus Christ. You know, husband is still alive. You're single for the rest of your life. Wife is still, ex-wife is still alive. You're, you're single for the rest of your life. Otherwise, you become an adulterer. And whoever you're with becomes the adulterer or the adulteress. That's in accordance with the new covenant. I'm just a messenger. But with death, husband dies, wife dies. See, and it's okay to get married again, but marry in Christ. Don't forget Paul's recommendation to stay single. <laughs> so you can serve the Lord, you see. But in the court of the old covenant, what we're looking at now, we see here the widow in verse 5, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Oh, something I had to say about divorced people. For the divorced people that are listening, I love you. This isn't like, you know, oh, you know, okay, you're divorced, you're going to burn in hell. No, it's not to come off that way. But if you're divorced, you know, I've had these conversations with divorcees and it's like, oh my goodness, am I in the wrong? Am I in the wrong? It's like, well, are you abiding in Christ? Yes. Okay, you're not in the wrong. These things, as we read the scriptures and as we come to the realization with this confrontation of truth, straight up truth, there's nothing more true than the word of God. Nothing more true than Genesis to Revelation. The word became flesh. Nothing more true to him. No, nothing more true than him. Remember, cuides veritus? When he's staring at truth right in the face. Speaking of uh, Pontius Pilate. 
Nothing more true than Jesus Christ. And when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, there's a realization like, oh my goodness, I'm in the wrong. Anytime that happens, I don't care if you're, you know, a, a brand new believer, if you just accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior five seconds ago, or if you did it five years ago or 50 years ago, anytime you're in the wrong, you repent. Because what it does inside of your heart, it keeps it nice and soft. Nice and soft. We have to understand the covenants. Remember rules of engagement? We studied that in our warfare warfare uh, 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 chapter in uh, Ephesians 6. Remember the rules of engagement. Conduct in accordance to the old covenant, which is, you know, till the seed. That's not us. That's not us. A people of the way, we abide in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. We are new covenant. Different theater, different rules of engagement. You see? Different ballgame. But according to the old covenant, in verse 5, I mean, we study, you know, we study the old so we can understand, that, that deeper understand the character and nature of our Lord. Just like, just like we looked at verse 4, you shall not Muslim ox while it treads out the grain. But then we see as a shadow of things to come, how it applies to us as new covenant believers, how it applies to us as, you know, pew Christians to support those in ministry, how it applies to those in ministry to not be, you know, don't go to the board and be, you know, serve your, your belly serving manna. You cannot serve manna and the Lord. You have to serve the Lord. Or not manna, uh, mammon, not manna. You cannot serve mammon and the Lord. You see? Don't be money hungry. You go uh, to a home fellowship to exhort, to teach, and they give you, you know, not no nothing. They give you maybe like one uh, sunflower seed. They rejoice in the Lord. You go to Palisades, they give you steak and lobster. Rejoice in the Lord. You see? And so we have this situation that arises in the camp of Israel in accordance to the old covenant. And the brothers in verse 5 dwell together. One of them dies and has no heir. So there's no son. So there's no heir. The widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. So it's just like as new covenant believers, not to get married again to a non-believer, you know, keep it in the family, so to speak. Heirs of Abraham, another believer. Another believer. You better make sure the formula is right too. It's not just like, okay, he's cute, so I'm going to marry him. Or she's cute, so I'm going to marry her. Oh, but she's a Christian. He's a Christian. Let's not, let's not, let's let's over, let's, let's not look at the fact that they're grave soakers. You see? Let's, let's just overlook the fact that, you know, they have the study Bible and they, they believe it's okay to take the mark of the beast in accordance with the study Bible guy. Big reformed pastor. Yeah, he says, go take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. No big deal. She's cute, so I'm going to marry her. He's cute, so I'm going to marry him. Foolishness. Look at the formula. You see? Oh, what I was going to say to the divorce, you know, if you're divorced, don't, you know, Anytime you're wrong with the Lord, whether it be divorce, whether it be sex, whether it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be the occult, whether it be anything, you repent. 
Make sure your heart is nice and soft before the Lord. Not to say for the divorcee that you're going to burn in hell because I've had these conversations with divorcees before. They say, oh my goodness, you know, do I need to, you know, get right with my first wife, like divorce my second wife again and go back to my first wife? Do I got to do it? No, 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 no. You're going to make another mess. Just repent. Did you, have you repented of that? Uh, not really. And then, okay, repent. Repent. Make sure you're right smack dab in the middle of Jesus Christ. You see? And then not to take advantage of God's grace to say like, okay, you know, anytime you're in the wrong, repent and, you know, keep doing it. Repent and keep doing this and repent and keep doing No, that's taking advantage of God's grace. That's when you get into the re-crucification, re-crucifying of Jesus Christ. That's like Hebrews 6 type stuff. Don't do that. So you have this situation. No air. It says here in verse 5, her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife. You see, now there's, when we remember our study in Leviticus, like in Leviticus 20, says that, you know, it's bad, you know, that a brother shall not go into, a guy shall not go into his brother's wife. Yes, it's absolutely true when the guy's still alive. I mean, when brother's still alive, don't do those things. That's an abomination before the Lord. But in this situation, when brother dies and there's no heir, you know, the four, look, look at the, the blueprints here. So brother's dead, no son, so there's no heir. So now what happens? Now it says that her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. This is an obligation under the law. Now, a little new covenant disclaimer here. This is where Hebrew roots, this is one of many areas where the Hebrew roots gets dangerous. I mean, Hebrew roots is dangerous on multiple levels. It's just false doctrine, the doctrine of Satan. But Hebrew roots doctrine, they permit all kinds of disgusting sexual things in accordance to the law, which is why I say, leave, jump ship. That ship will kill you. You jump ship. You see, repent and come to Christ, the real Christ. Not the Christ, lowercase c, that you thought said, go to the law. Because that was Satan and his servants advocated that. Little trick, because Satan wants you to abide in the law so that you can die. He can kill you and drag you to hell with him. But the servants of the real Christ, they say, jump ship. You see, whose word is above his name. So we get into verse 6 now. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed. See, it's it's to it's family succession. Succeed to the name of the dead brother or to the position of the dead brother. It's like replacement. So, you know, the guy dies, now he's replaced. So the lineage of that family moves on. It says that the name that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. It's a continuance of the lineage, but remember according to the flesh, 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 flesh. Observe Israel according to the flesh. New covenant, you and me abiding in Christ, it's according to the spirit. Different ball game. You see? But in verse 7, <clears throat> but if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gates of the elders. Remember, the formula's got to be right in the elders. 
Because if there's corruption in the, say the brother, the, the brother dies and his wife, they have no heirs. And so the brother, the, the, the brother of the one who died says, you know what? Um, um, say she's, she, she, she doesn't, um, uh, she doesn't appeal to me visually. So I don't want to, I don't want to do this. She doesn't appeal to me visually. And then, you know, she goes to the elders of the city and the elders of the city, they're, they're like chummy with the guy and they say, yeah, you know, he's our friend. So, you know, he doesn't have to do this. No, that's corruption. Corruption. Remember, the formula's got to be right in the elders. <clears throat> no respecter of person. The Lord is no respecter of persons. There's no partiality with him. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. I mean, Lazarus and the rich guy, I love this so much. Because in accordance to the ways of the world, everybody knows Warren Buffett. Good old Warren Buffet. Everybody knows uh, uh, Elon Musk. Everybody knows, you know, the multi-billionaires. Everybody knows these people. But who knows the name of the guy who sleeps on the corner? Who knows the name of the lady who sleeps under the bridge? Who knows her name? But in the Bible, we have Lazarus and the rich guy. What's the rich guy's name? You see? Nobody knows the rich guy's name. But the biblical account captures the name of Lazarus. Different economy. Different way of thinking. Because the Lord addresses not the flesh. I mean, he certainly addresses the flesh. You know, old covenant, you know, tap, tap, stone, stone. New covenant, tap, tap. And, you know, outside of repentance, I mean, if you leave that door and exit Christ and you're under the law, judgment, straight up second death. You see, different way of thinking. Yes, the Lord addresses the flesh. You know, in the old covenant, absolutely. New covenant still, absolutely. But until the seed has come. Remember Mary, when she tried to hold on to Jesus Christ in the garden, she discovered like, oh my goodness, you... You're alive and she held on. Jesus says, hey, you got to let go of me. Not that, you know, let go of me and, you know, go to Buddha. No, let go of me because I have not yet ascended my, to my father. And when I send to my father, just as he said, I will send my spirit down. The spirit that he sends is for Mary to hold on to. And the multitudes of people to hold on to, even you and me. The stamp, the seal of the Holy Spirit. You see? And so we see here. So she goes to the, uh, she goes to the, uh, to the elders in verse seven. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate of the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. She has a valid claim. The female here, the, the widow, she has a very, very valid claim for the succession of the, 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 the her dead husband's line, that family line and his succession. So like, you know, his head went down in terms of death and the rising of the other head in his brother. Now remember, it is written that a brother shall not do these things with, a guy shall not do these things with his brother's wife, but that's when the brother's alive. And in this situation, the, the brother is dead. 
So now there's rules for the next brother to step in line. And this is when there's no male heir. Remember, there's no, they have no sons, no, no kids. You see? So blueprints indicate in this situation, this is what you do. In this situation, this is what you do. In this situation, this situation, this is what you don't do. In this situation, this is what you absolutely do not do. And if you do it, it's not going to be tap, tap. It's not going to be whip, whip. It's going to be straight up stone, stone. Say goodnight. Remember harshness in the law. And so we see here in verse 8. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her. So he's adamant about it. Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders. Remove his sandals from his foot. Spit in his face. This is a big deal. I mean, for a female to do this to a male, this is a very big deal. Few moments in the Old Testament, in accordance with the law, there are very few moments where a female can exercise authority over a male. This is one of them. This is one of them. In terms of, it's not necessarily her exercising authority over a male in a sense of in the lineage of her dead husband that is head over the brother you see that is head over the brother so she kind of serves in like a um like a, a husband capacity so you see this this little brief moment of I don't know if dominance is the right word to use, but that's the what comes to mind. You see this brief moment of female authority over the male. And it's beautiful because it's in the absence of husband. See? Sometimes, you know, I have these conversations with my sisters in Christ. And to read these passages, and it's like, to read the Old Testament, it's, there's sometimes when you read it, it's just like, oh man, this is such a bummer. Like, you know, the women were kind of like secondhand, second class society, you know, treated like this and treated like that. But you have to understand this is Israel according to the flesh. Always flesh, 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 according to the flesh, 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 flesh. And Jesus Christ says it wasn't so in the beginning. You see? Remember, in Christ, in Christ, the fulfillment of the law. There's no male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. And so you see this, the woman spits in his face. This is not just in private. This is like in front of the elders. And answer and say in verse 9, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. Remember, he refused, and then he adamantly. Number one, he refused to her in verse, like in verse seven, he just says, "No thanks, I'm not going to do that." But then, in front of the elders in verse eight, he it's like, "Absolutely, I do not want to take her." Now he's in the wrong. He refuses. And because he's in the wrong, now all of a sudden to remove the sandal from his foot, that's what the that, not the, that's what the, 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 uh, the widow gets to do. Not gets to do, but has to do. And not just that, spit in his face. 
Not on the ground where he's standing, not on his clothes, in his face. Why? Because he didn't want. He will not, at the end of verse 9, he will not build up his brother's house. In verse 10, Build up here is to repair, to build, and to set up. In verse 10, And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him who had his sandal removed. Whoa, it's shameful. Because this is a brother who's concerned only about himself. No, no, I don't want, I'm not going to marry her. I'm not going to marry her. I'm not going to fulfill my duty. Look, this situation arose. They had no kids. And, you know, there's no no one to pass through the air. And, you know, the Lord, the, the you know, this is the duty for the, 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 uh, 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 to, to, uh, to, to, to raise up the name for, for my brother. And, nope, I'm not going to do it. It's shameful. Because what does that reveal in the camp? He's thinking about himself. He's not thinking about another person. He's not thinking about his brother. He's not thinking about the lineage of that family. It's a shameful thing. This self-centeredness that is revealed. But self-centeredness in the new covenant is also a shameful thing. You see how these things in the law are a shadow of the things to come? see? Remember the Ten Commandments? How transactionally speaking, commandments that are directly directly relational between a person and the Lord, but then in obedience to the Lord, other laws of the Ten Commandments, which are directly proportional in obedience to the Lord, to another person. The first ones being mom and dad. Honor mother and father. Now, not... Be obedient to mother and father. Honor mother and father, which could encompass obedience. Like if you're a child, it could it could mean obedience to mom and dad. But remember, if you're like, you know, 10 years old, 12 years old, the formula's got to be right in mom and dad. If dad is, you know, uh, 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 on probation and can't buy drugs and the dad says, hey, son, I want you to go buy some crack for me. You know, son, don't do that. You can honor your father by saying, no, thanks, pops. Nope, I'm not going to do that. Because what you're doing is that you're being obedient to Jesus Christ, the head of all. It's important to understand these things. Listen to our study through Galatians 5 and 6. You'll understand more. Family dynamics, spiritual warfare. And so we see. If two men in verse 11, if two men fight together, so like in the, in the in verse one, it was a dispute. And now in verse 11, the dispute got so thick that, you know, it's amplified. Now the two guys, they straight up go to blows. If two men fight together and the wife of one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of the one attacking him and puts out her hand and seizes him by the genitals. Whoa, whoa. Which this is understandable. I mean, what wife would see her husband getting beat up and not want to do anything? I get it. It's completely understandable. But wives, 
in your efforts to help your husband, do not defile yourself in the process. And I'm not advocating the law in saying that. But just applicationally speaking, in anything, in your effort and desire to help your husband, do not defile yourself in the process. See? Keep the temple of the Lord holy. There are pastors who teach wickedness. Oh, women, you can have your husband in a deeper relationship with the Lord through, and then they list a lot of sexual activity. And the unnatural use of the human body. And they say, women, you can do this to your husband and, you know, his he can come to the Lord and his relationship will be deeper with the Lord. That's what the false teachers say. That's what the wolves say. That's what the servants of Satan say. In your desire to my sisters in Christ who are married, in your desire to help your husband, which is beautiful, keep the temple holy. I say that specifically to wives, but there's also application to all of us, to everybody. I know of a missionary whose doctrine changed. He goes into a certain area and his doctrine changed to the point where it became, it was no longer aligned to the word of God. It was on the rocks before, but now it is absolutely changed. False doctrine entered him. And having a conversation, long conversation with him, he cited Paul. He cited the writings of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul says, I have become all things to all people as an excuse. I, you know, the Lord called me into this region and I went into that region. And in order to give the gospel, in order to identify with them, I had to alter my ways and change my ways. And what happened to him? from a doctrinal perspective, is that Satan caught him. Remember, Satan is a fisherman too. I mean, picture baby girl. Baby girl's on a boat in Florida. Beautiful, beautiful Florida. Baby girl's on a, on a fishing boat. And she has, you know, her, her little, you know, uh, baby girl has her little uh, pink colored, it's a plastic fishing pole. Durable plastic. And she has, she has a fishing line. And the line is going out to sea. Unbeknownst to her. A tuna bites. She catches a tuna. Seemingly like, oh my goodness, wow, baby girl, you caught a fish. This is beautiful. But do you see how dangerous this could be for her? She caught a tuna. That tuna's going to swim away. And what's going to happen to baby girl? She's going to fly right over the rail and boom into the ocean. Because she doesn't have the strength. Bye-bye, baby girl. You see? The same thing happens when we don't understand that Satan is a fisherman too. Oh, I'm going to go minister to these crackheads. And surely the Lord wants these crackheads to be Christians Absolutely, the Lord is not willing that any should perish. Absolutely. Oh, the Lord, I'm going to go minister to these prostitutes. You know, surely the Lord wants them to be Christians. Absolutely, he's not willing that any should perish. But in the course of time, 
said individual becomes the customer and gets caught up in the sex and the drugs and the whole nine yards. Just like baby girl who caught a tuna. Best of intentions, but now baby girl's bye-bye. Why? Because she didn't have the strength. And she also didn't have the understanding. Which means she needed a better teacher to tell her, baby girl, you know, no, you, you, we're going to go fishing, but we're going to go in this little pond where it is safe for you. And we're going to catch fish and it's going to be safe for you. But we're not going to Florida and, and, you know, on the fishing vessel. You know, that's for stronger people. Not for you right now, baby girl. Not for you forever. No, it's not for you right now because you need to grow. You need to mature. You need to be strong. So this missionary tells me, oh, I've become all things to all people. His doctrine changed. When Paul says, I became all things to all people, he's a strong fisherman. He could go in a pond and catch little, little baby fish. He can go catch koi. He can catch trout. He can catch sturgeon. He can go and catch tuna. He can catch sharks, great whites, the big ones. He can catch whales. And not because, you know, Paul is awesome. Paul's a dead guy. It is no longer he who lives, it's Christ who lives in him. He's not like the baby girl example. Not to say that baby girl can never be that way. But baby girl needs to grow and mature so that she can be a, a fisher of sharks and the whales. You see, the same exact exhortation, just like the exhortation was for my sisters in Christ. Yes, it's beautiful to, to help your husband. And just as written, written here in verse 11, to rescue your husband. But don't defile yourself in the process. And same thing for all of us. Yes, it's beautiful to go out on the rescue mission. And bring people to Christ. But don't get defiled in the process. You see? Here it just happens to be the genitals. The women. Don't put out your hand and grab seize him by the genitals. Look what happens in verse 12. Then you shall cut off her hand. Your eyes shall not pity her. Whoa, this is hardcore. Remember, harshness to the law. But men, this is the law, the old covenant. Men, my brothers in Christ whom I love. Jesus, new covenant. In regard to sexual sin, he says it's better to pluck out your own eye and cut off your own hand. Let's put things in perspective. The severity of how the Lord views sin. You see? Matthew 5. Let's have things in proper perspective here. Now, I'm not saying, you know, go out and, you know, gouge out your eye and, you know, rip out, cut off your hand and get an axe and chop off your hand. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about the severity of, hey, you got to, you know, throw your computer in the trash, throw your phone in the trash, get a little flip phone with just the numbers. 
A lot of men do their dirty things on the computer. They do their dirty things on the phone, on the smartphones. They do their dirty apps. Look at the severity, how the Lord puts, puts things in perspective. It's better to pluck out the eye. It's better to cut off the hand than to burn in hell. You see? It's beautiful. Don't play games with the Lord. Verse 13. You shall not have in your bag different you shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. So think of like a gold coin. A gold coin, and you look at say you have two gold coins. One is solid gold and one is gold plated. They look exactly the same, except they're different. Because the difference, yes, they're different in weight, but the different another difference is look at the heart of the individual who holds these coins. You see, who wants the solid gold coins for his bank account, but then wants to go out in the marketplace and use the gold plated coins because why? He's concerned about himself. He's concerned about his bank account. He's concerned about me, 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 me. Remember, just like we looked at with with the, uh, the guy who didn't want to marry his dead brother's wife. You see, he's focused on me, which is a shameful thing. He's focused on self, me, 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 me. Shameful. Same thing with differing weights. Oh, I want solid gold for me, but then the gold plated, which don't have a lot of value, I want it to to be for them. Focus on self. In verse 14, you shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and small. Same concept. The focus is on me, me, me. Differing scales the Lord doesn't like. Abomination before the Lord. These differing scales. You shall have a perfect and just weight. A perfect and just measure. That your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You see? What's so beautiful about this? Yes, it's it's, it's beautiful, you know, <clears throat> that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving. It's beautiful. And what's extra beautiful about this is that you don't have to be a priest for this. You don't have to be a Kohanim. You don't have to be Levite. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a judge. Just the average Joe and the average Jane. Not to, not to uh, uh, discredit by saying the average. I'm just saying, you know, the, anybody, run of the mill Joe, run of the mill Jane. I mean, you remember how last week, when you know, you know the little homework assignment, the, the book of Ruth, you know, you don't see priesthood. You don't see, you know, like you know, the, the, the nothing fancy. What you do see is the beauty behind obedience. You don't, you don't see like you know Levites. You think like, wow, you know, look at the Levites; they have this responsibility. Wow, look at the Kohanim; look at they have this responsibility. Yes, they have a responsibility. But the responsibility is so that people can be right before the Lord and with rightness before the Lord or righteousness before the Lord. Look at what the Lord does. You see? Look at what the Lord did. When you read the book of Ruth, look at what the Lord And through the lineage, you have David and Jesus. You see? This is for everybody to follow. Whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you're middle class, priest, non-priest. 
perfect, in verse 15, a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And we're going to see in the Old and further, further studies in the Old Testament where this is not followed. You're not, you're, you're going to see where there is situations where there is not perfect and just weights, not perfect and just measures. You see? We're going to see it. Jesus Christ himself overturning the tables in the temple. You've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. Why the formula wasn't right? Not in a carnal sense. People say, oh yeah, we got to, we got to turn the tables and it's like, that's carnality. Oh, but Jesus turned the table and the, the, yeah, but do you see the, the transaction that was being conducted? When the whole objective is for people to be right before the Lord? You see? And that couldn't happen when the formula was off. Then you see the response of Jesus. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. In verse 16, For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord your God. You see? Everybody has a choice to make. You don't have to be Kohanim. You don't have to be Levite. You don't have to be elder. You don't have to be priest. You don't have to be, you know, a, a judge. Everybody. It's a level playing field. You could be a little boy. You could be a little girl. You could be old. You could be young. You could be rich. You could be poor. You could be middle class. You could be an orphan. You could be a widow. You could be a Gentile. Everybody's straight, level playing field. You see? All who behave unrighteously are an abomination to the Lord your God. And through the law, yes, the harshness of the law. Just like the example we gave with baby girl when she was two weeks old, baby girl when she's two years old, baby girl when she's 12. You see? These different levels. There's love through it all, but there's certain harshness. And yes, there's going to be harshness even when baby girl's 10 years old. Except through obedience, baby girl doesn't see the harshness anymore. She sees grace and mercy. Now, with disobedience, she's going to see harshness. But she doesn't see harshness like she did when she was 2. You see? But through it all, there's love. How much more with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. In closing, verse 17, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. Now, you might recall we've been walking with us for a while, our study through Exodus 17. And what happened is that uh, there was a a battle that Israel had to fight, one of Israel's early battles post-Egypt. And Joshua, led by Joshua, the you know the, Moses' assistant, who's the the, the next uh, leader of Israel. When they when when you know we're going to end Deuteronomy, and you know and, and we're going to see Joshua in succession of Moses, leader of Israel. But Joshua was leader in this campaign against Amalek, and when Moses. He, would, he went to the top of the mountain, the top of the hill, and any t- when he would pray, and he would have his hands raised up and pray and worship the Lord and, you know, uh, like intercede for the warriors of Israel. And when he had his hands up, Joshua and the armies, 
they would advance and win against Amalek. And then he would get tired and he would have his hands would go down. And when his hands went down, Joshua and the armies, they started to lose. And so you have the, 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 the helpers of Moses. They comment, you know, one raises his right hand, the other raises his left hand. And so when his hands are raised, Israel wins battles. You see? And so we see here, the Lord gives us a picture of what happens. In verse 17, remember, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary. Very interesting what we see here. They were already tired. Remember, they came out of Egypt. Almost, they were chased by Egyptians, almost killed by Egyptians. But then the Lord made a way. They passed through the water on dry ground. And then the Lord consumed the armies of Pharaoh. I mean, picture a marathon. I mean, if you and me, you and me were standing at the finish line of a marathon. in And it's, you know, many, many miles. In an hour, nobody has passed through the finish line. But then an hour and 30 minutes, you start to see people, you know, like the, the first person to cross the finish line. Those are the fastest ones. You see the first person, the second one, and it's hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes. And you see people crossing the finish line. But then say, for example, those ones who cross the finish line after an hour and a half, they've been resting. They've been rehydrating for an hour. And then you start to see the chubby people coming through the finish line. They're still they're still running. The chubby people start running to the finish line. You know, the old people start coming to the finish line. You know, you see people walking to the finish line. You, know, you see like, you know, the really chubby people going to the finish line. It's not to knock the, the chubby people. You know, praise be to the Lord because they're going to the finish line. Most chubby people don't even enter the race. But so you have like the super fit. They're done in an hour and a half in marathon race. But then like five hours later, now you have like the chubby people that are coming to the finish line. Praise be to the Lord. But picture that long line. You have the super fit and they pass, you know, hour and a half. But then the slow, the ones who don't have that, you know, they're carrying extra weight. You know, they don't have this, they have the, they have the heart because they're actually in the marathon. They have the, and they're actually passing the finish line. Praise be to the Lord. It's not to knock the chubbies. But what happens is that they're already tired. Picture that long line. Now picture that as being Israel. Amalek doesn't attack the front where the strong people are. He goes to the rear and attacks the weak, the old. You know, maybe maybe you have a guy, a lady who's like super fit with strong legs, but they're carrying like two kids. You see? He attacks the rear ranks. All the stragglers at your rear, he says in verse 18, when you were tired and weary. So they were already tired and weary. Now we see the tactics of Amalek going to the rear. He's not going to, he doesn't go to the front. He goes to the rear. Very interesting from a tactical perspective. You know why? Satan does the exact same thing. He exploits the tired and the weary and the babies. He exploits them to attack them. Parents, you might think, oh, the formula is right with me. The formula is right with my wife. And, you know, look, we're good to go. Okay. Praise be to the Lord. 
Satan's going to attack your kids. Remember, a sweet, beautiful baby girl, he wants to kill and destroy. Who's going to let that happen? Baby girl can't fight yet. I mean, she can fight to a certain degree. But when Satan wants to kill her, you can let that happen. Have to understand these tactics. Just like Amalek uses a type of Satan, also a type of flesh, the Amalekites. Oh, the formula's right with me. The formula's right with my wife, so we're good to go. Don't forget, baby girl. You see, a lot of parents, they they forget. They forget that baby girl has to fight too. They forget. And you might be running with the, you might be like, you know, super strong. You're like, you finish the, the finish line, hour and a half, you know, a marathon. You can be done in an hour and a half, piece of cake, no big deal. But baby girl, it might take her five hours. You see? The same in churches. That's a family dynamic, but same in churches. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, like, what would be so beautiful is if, like, look at Chloe. You know, look at Chloe. When we listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, and you see this carnality in Corinth, what would have been so beautiful is if Chloe was more widely accepted and seen as an example so that her influence and those in her household can be more of the influencers, you see? that's That would have been lovely. That would have been beautiful, but it didn't happen. Why? Defunct pastors, probably some male chauvinism there who forgot that in Christ there's no male or female. It would have been beautiful if Chloe and those in her household who have the strong legs and they can finish a marathon in an hour and a half could have humbled themselves. Not to suggest that they weren't humbled, but it could have been allowed to humble, not, to, not that they were humble, but could have been allowed in their state of humility to assume the rear, so to speak, so that when the attacks would come, you know, they would be on point. They would be on point. You see, yes, Chloe and those in her household, probably a Bible study of females, home fellowship. I can make a strong case for it. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians, you'll understand more. You see, they can assume that role like a rear guard, so to speak. So that when Satan comes to attack the, the weak, the weary, and the, uh, the, the babies, no, guards up, shields up. Swords out. You see? Ready to engage. That's what's so beautiful. When you understand from a, a tactical perspective. Same thing in a family, in a fellowship. and I don't care the size of the fellowship. Very difficult. The larger the fellowship, the more difficult it is. The days of the megachurch, those are over. As the, as the church age comes to a close, the days of the megachurch, that's over. 
we're seeing the the danger behind that because the rear guard becomes more of an impossibility kind of says a lot about Corinth because remember Paul you know though you have 10,000 teachers you have only one father he's speaking of himself as an authority role for Corinth not to get on a high horse but to exhort and to warn and to in some cases chastise the Corinthian saints you see we have to understand because the same thing is happening today as Satan who knows his time is short and he's amping up his attacks where does he go yes there's going to be arrows on the strong but the bulk of arrows and javelins and sword it's going to be on the weak and the weary and the babies see but where are the warriors i'm not talking about you know you know like the video game people oh look i can fight i'm a warrior i do this oh look i do the video games and yeah i got shot in this video game and you know two seconds later and i get to live again no i'm talking about the real warriors spiritually speaking the real warriors not the video game warriors i'm talking about the real ones who got the scars to prove it and in my experience i've seen a lot more females than i see males you see that's the tactics that satan uses to exploit the weak the weary and the babies When, in the case of Amalek, like in verse 17 here, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and did not fear God. I wonder if Amalek would dare do that to Pharaoh. See, there's a, a caravan of women and children in, in, in the desert. A caravan of women and children in the desert. And Amalek is like, okay, who are these people? Because I want to rob them. I want to imprison some of them and, you know, take them as slaves. And that's what we're going to do. And somebody says, no, 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 no. Amalek, they're they're Egyptian. That's Pharaoh's family. And I wonder if Amalek was like, okay, hands off. I'm not doing that. I don't want to mess around with Pharaoh because he's God on earth. I wonder. But yet, remember... The Lord made himself known. The Lord made himself known. Egypt, Pharaoh, who was God on earth. Egypt, who was the the, the mightiest armies of the land. And the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, destroyed them. Utterly destroyed them. They became nothing overnight, just like that. And Amalek did not fear God because he says, okay, the God of these people that I see in the wilderness, he just destroyed Egypt. He just destroyed, like, the might of Egypt is no more. And they're gone, like, straight up, like, the plagues, they're, like, the the rebuilding of Egypt is, like, that's multi-generations it's they're done 
And the God of these people that I see in the wilderness, he doesn't fear the Lord. He says, okay, look at these strong guys in the front. Look at these, you know, the stragglers in the back, the weak ones, the old people, the stragglers. You know, you see people with their carrying two kids. And he says, I'm going to attack them. I'm going to attack them. No fear of the Lord. I wonder if he would dare not do that to Pharaoh. I have a hunch that he wouldn't dare do that to Pharaoh. And yet, here he is doing it to Israel, referencing our study from Exodus 17, if you've been walking with us for a while. And so, who's the rear guard? Joshua, you see, assistant of Moses. The rear guard. Can you see? It's so beautiful. Joshua, rear guard, and then all of a sudden Moses at the mountain. And what is he doing? Interceding through prayer. The fight of Joshua and the warriors that are with him to defeat Amalek. You see? Powerful it is to understand this, these tactics that the enemy uses. Examples that we have as new covenant believers to understand the concept of the rear guard in a family situation, in a church situation, in a fellowship situation, in life. And yet you have people, oh, we don't study the Old Testament. Too much vengeance, so we don't study that. Too much judgment, so we don't study that. Too much, too much wrath, we don't like that. We don't want our little feelers to be hurt. It's the wrong mentality. We get a deeper understanding of our Lord through these studies of the Old Testament. So we see in verse 9, Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You see, destroy the Amalekites or erase the scent is how it translates. Erase the scent of the Amalekites. You shall not forget. You know what happens in the course of time? They forget. And the Amalekites become a big problem for Israel. These Amalekites, descendants of Esau, whom the Lord hated. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, you know, always pointing to Romans, oh, you know, look, uh, Jacob, I loved and Esau he hated. Jacob, I, Jacob, he loved and Esau he hated. Okay, yes, it's a biblical truth. But Why? Don't forget that Esau sold his birthright and he was a, 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 a lying fornicator. Uh, let me see here. In Hebrews 12, Hebrew, Hebrews 12 verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Very interesting what we see here. <laughs> I wonder what that says in the kingdom now people. Kingdom now people. New apostolic reformation. Which is heretical. 
Or, oh, we got to fight for our rights. We got to fight for our rights. Let's fight this. Let's fight this. What does the Bible say here? Hebrews 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which, without which, very interesting what we see here. No one will see the Lord. Very interesting. I want all of us to see the Lord. Verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this may become defiled. Very interesting. What happens inside the temple? Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, of whom the Amalekites sprang from. my Calvinist and Reformed theory friends. I love you, but come out of her, my people. That ship is sinking. That ship will kill you. That ship will kill you because what happens? You know, oh, Jacob, I loved and Esau, I hated. Look, the Bible says that. The Lord says that. Yes, but why? Esau was a fornicator and profane. Just as is revealed here in verse 16 who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And in so doing, look what happens in that lineage, the Amalekites, Amalek. And the Lord says in Deuteronomy 25, the last verse, verse 19, he says to blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. You know what happens? They forget. They forget. And the Amalekites present themselves as two things for us as New Covenant believers. A type of Satan attacking from the rear, rear guard, or, you know, he attacks from the rear, which means we need to set up the rear guard, the perimeter, you know, so that, you know, if you're in a family, you know, so that the kids can have green pastures and still waters, you see? But if you're in a church, pastors, elders, overseers, so that the flock of God can have green pastures and still waters where it is safe for them, rear guard. Satan's going to attack from the rear, but you're ready for it. Amalekites present themselves as a type of Satan, but also as a type of flesh. You see? These are the tactics that he uses. Do not play games with the Lord. You see, when he's the one who says, go and sin no more. And Satan, he exploits weaknesses. Yes, within self, he exploits weaknesses. Being honest with ourselves, be straight up with yourself. Know what your weaknesses are. You see, whether it be sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. Alcohol, okay, don't go to bars. Don't, don't, you know. You have friends that always say, hey, let's go to the bars. Let's go. Don't, you know, don't hang out with those friends anymore. Be hardcore. You see? The sex, the pornography, the strippers, whatever. Okay. Get rid of your computer. Get rid of your phone. Don't do the dirty business. It's so beautiful. Understanding that the Amalekites, you know, the Lord says, blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. We're going to get into future passages in the Old Testament. They forgot. Amalek becomes a huge problem. The Amalekites. What about us as Christians? 
What about us as Christians? Oh, the Lord, I, you know, I should have defiled the temple with the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the Buddha, the this, the little white lies. Like, I shouldn't defile the temple. So, oh, but I forgot. You know, the Lord will forgive. So I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And you know what? It's okay. This is acceptable in the eyes of the Lord because look, I'm of the elect. I'm of the elect. No. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Just like we studied in Philippians. We have to understand these things, the tactics that the enemy uses. Not just for the sake of knowing, but for the sake of engaging. For the sake of fighting. The good fight. So we're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up in chapter 26 next week to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.